In a seminar I co-lead with Dr. Neil Plantinga, we read a portion of a Robert Caro biography of President Lyndon B. Johnson. Johnson was a complex man, but an overall impression that emerges is that he was deeply flawed, opportunistic, egotistical, and constantly deceptive. Yet in the early years of his presidency, Johnson accomplished tremendous good in founding Medicare, the Voting Rights Act, and the Civil Rights Act. This leads Dr. Planica to the observation, God can hit straight shots with crooked sticks. Well, the prophet Jonah was a crooked stick, if ever there were one, but as we will see today on Groundwork, God manages to hit a straight shot with Jonah after all. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, we are now uh, halfway through the book of Jonah. It's four chapters and our series on Jonah, four programs, corresponding to the four chapters, which are really the four dramatic acts. If Jonah were a play, it would be a play in four acts. And today we are uh, in act three, in Jonah three. So let's just uh, remind ourselves uh, and our listeners, Daryl, of what's been going on so far. So in the first chapter, God tells Jonah, I need you to go and preach against the city of Nineveh, that great city of Nineveh, and give them the word that they need to repent. And for whatever reason, Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to flee to Tarshish. He's going to go to the literal geographical opposite direction of the city he's supposed to go to. He says, I'm going to get on a boat. I'm going to go to Joppa. And for some reason, we're not really told why he doesn't want to talk about Nineveh or why doesn't he want to go preach, but it just doesn't want to hear it. He runs, tries to run away from God, which is actually ridiculous because you can't run from the omnipresent God, right? He's going to find that out soon enough. So, yeah, he boards a ship. So he's moving away from God, away from God's assignment. God sends a storm on the ship, though, and the sailors figure out eventually Jonah's the problem. Eventually, they don't want to do it, but Jonah says, I think your only hope to be saved is if you get rid of me and throw me overboard. So they do. And uh, by all rights, as we said in the previous program, Daryl, Jonah was dead. I mean, he was sinking down into the depth. So he's getting farther and farther and farther away from from God, away from the presence of God, and he's sinking down into the grave. But as we saw in the previous program, even though Jonah had tried to run away from God, when he gets in this deep trouble, he calls out to God, and God sends a fish. And the fish is not the punishment, we said. The fish is the salvation. And so eventually, uh, the fish vomits Jonah up. I, I heard some a preacher one time say that Jonah was such an unlovely, sour person, even the <laughs> fish couldn't stomach him for long, right? But he gets deposited on, on, on dry land. And then, uh, Daryl, as we begin Jonah chapter 3, we hit the reboot. So this is where we pick up, and it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and it went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So Jonah uh, has figured out. What you said a few minutes ago, uh, Daryl, running away from God is ridiculous. It's not going to work. So that was a non-starter. So when he gets his divine assignment a second time, this time he goes. And here again, we see a reference to uh, three days. So, you know, we, we said in the previous program, Jesus made the analogy in Matthew 12, that Jonah was three days in the belly of a whale. Jesus was three days in the tomb. And throughout the Bible, um, Old Testament and New, three days is a symbol that it marks out something. It's not 
first of all, chronological time, literally three 24-hour days. It's more holy time, right? It's more kairos time. Uh, and whenever three days is used, it marks something significant. So we got three days of Jonah being in the belly of the fish. We got three days where Jonah takes, that's how long it takes to go through Nineveh. And then Jesus picked it up when he said there are three days and three nights where he's in the belly of the earth being his death, burial, and resurrection. And so the number three is definitely significant. But what we need to know, Nineveh is not the people of God. Right. So Jonah is being used to speak God's word and truth to a nation that probably didn't even know anything about him, probably worshiping foreign gods in the first place. And I find that very interesting that even though that message is still true, that salvation is from the Lord, he's going to a particular nation and demographic that had no knowledge of it, which is unusual in the line of prophets, like you said earlier. Right. If you look at any of the prophetic books, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Amos, Micah, they are all prophets speaking to the people of Israel, either to the northern kingdom of Israel or to the southern kingdom of Judah. But the prophets all speak to Israel. Now, there is one prophet, Nahum, who also later will also have to speak a word of judgment to Nineveh. But otherwise, typically, the words that the prophets speak from God are directed to reform the people of God and to accuse the Israelites of their sins. But here, for some reason, Nineveh is of concern. And we don't know why. I mean, there must have been all kinds of places on earth whose evil could rise up before God. So why was Nineveh singled out? Why did that particular city get God's attention? We don't know. Maybe something like this happened a lot. Maybe lots of times God sent prophets to other nations, and we just don't know about them. But we do know about Jonah, and for some reason, this was his assignment. It's not made very clear at all to us why God would want to be interested in what Nineveh is doing and how he wanted to intervene there. It also harkens back to what we talked about in the other episode about God's mercy. He wants to not give them what they deserve. He's trying to warn them so that they may repent. But also, I think it could harken to what God's heart is. His heart has always been for all nations to worship and glorify him, which we find in Isaiah 49, verse 6, where salvation, he says, I will make you, Israel, as a light to the nations that my salvation shall reach the ends of the earth. That could be one of the reasons why he is interested in Nineveh being that they're not one of God's people chosen. He still wants to get that message across. Right. And it goes back to the founding of Israel in the sense of the call of Abram in Genesis 12. I will make you a blessing to all nations. That was always going to be, and this is going to be really important in the final episode of this series, Daryl, when we get to Jonah 4, uh, where finally we're going to find out the real reasons why Jonah fled from God in the first place. But that is something the Israelites needed to remember, but tended to forget. They existed as sort of God's beachhead to save all nations. But Nineveh, we don't know what god or gods they worship, but we're sure it wasn't Yahweh, right. the god of Israel. They might have worshipped Marduk, the Babylonian god, or maybe they were like the sailors on the ship in chapter 1. They just worshipped all kinds of gods. You know, They just believed in polytheism. There's a whole bunch of gods. But they certainly aren't the covenant people of God. Right. They don't know God. So why would they listen to Jonah? I've heard this saying where it says, you know, atheists will say, I don't believe in God. But then the person will say, well, God believes in you. Mm. So the fact that the Ninevites are worshiping these other gods and that's something that they're not actually caring about doesn't mean that God isn't 
intimately involved and connected and wants to help them and save them. And so the why not, why not question will continue to come back, but it doesn't mean that God isn't interested in them. This kind of goofy character of Jonah strides into Nineveh, delivers the message, which we didn't know the content of the message until now. Now we know the content, 40 days, shape up or ship out, 40 days and Nineveh will be no more. That was the message. We didn't hear that message in Jonah 1, but now we do. Will they listen? Well, stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. And we are in Jonah chapter 3, the third episode of our four-part series on Jonah. And we just heard that Jonah has finally, having resisted and fled God, when God tells him a second time to go preach repentance to the Ninevites, he does. But, you know, why would they pay attention? I mean, even today, right? I mean, if you sometimes if you're in a big city, Daryl, you know, you see these doomsday prophets walking around Central Park in New York or Grant Park in Chicago holding those big, the end is near signs. It's almost a cartoon caricature. And, you know, we give these people a fleeting glance. Doomsday prophets are a dime a dozen. So why would they listen to Jonah? I mean, why didn't they give Jonah just a fleeting glance? Maybe they did. Or what did they do? Well, what they did was they heard God's message clearly and they repented. So even though Jonah didn't want to go, even though he got a second chance to preach it, I'm not quite sure if he preached it with the most conviction possible, <laughs> but even though he says 40 days shape up or ship out, for some reason that message hit home with these Ninevites and they, they repented because the message still has power in it. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. I was thinking about this, and I, I believe this. Every preacher on earth who preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ wants to have this kind of response when they get <laughs> yeah. done preaching. Everybody has to repent now and come up to the altar, do altar call, whatever it is. The response that Jonah got was 100 for 100. Every single person, even the animals were called to fast. It's really powerful. That's amazing. 
sometimes when you talk to people after church as a pastor, you're shaking hands at the church door, and maybe you preach a sermon you was hoping you were hoping that would be really challenging, <laughs> and then people say, I "Really enjoyed the sermon." You know, sometimes I want to say, "Well, I was kind of hoping it would bother you a little bit." You know, I was, right. I was looking for a different response. Well, Jonah got the response that, by all rights, he was looking for. It was very, very effective. And I like the question the king asks in his decree in Jonah 3, verse 9. Who knows? The king says, who knows? Uh, God may yet uh, relent. But to those who've been paying attention uh, to this book so far, Daryl, we know that God almost will certainly relent because we said in the previous program that in the very end of Jonah 2, verse 9, it's the dead literary and theological center of the book where Jonah says, salvation comes from the Lord. Boom. And so who knows, the king says? Well, the reader knows salvation comes from the Lord. You people repent. You're going to get saved. And so the fact that salvation comes from the Lord is the epitome of the mercy that he is showing. We talked about in the last episode how his mercy shines because he's rich in mercy. And for him to relent and accept the repentance of these Ninevites who knew nothing about him, who cared nothing about him, shows that he is rich in mercy and that salvation comes from him. Even if the message is kind of watered down or mediocre or not the best effort all the time, I know when I preach sermons, sometimes I felt, oh man, I don't know if I did a good job there. I feel kind of critique. My inner critic goes overdrive. But then those are the ones where people will come up and say, man, God really used you that time. And it's interesting that his mercy will cover over that message and make it powerful, make it strong. Some of the sermons I really loved, the people thought were just kind of ho hum. And and the sermons I struggled with and I was so glad to be done with, then they come up and say, that was powerful. It's like, really? That's your best sermon. That sermon? I didn't even like it myself. But God uses us, right? So there's hope for the wayward Ninevites. But here's something else that that struck me um, when I read it this time, Daryl, that I don't remember thinking all the other times I've read Jonah. And that's one of the words of the king's decree in verse 8, let everyone give up their evil ways and their violence. Boom. That's all he says. He doesn't give them a list. He doesn't give them examples. He just says, give up your evil ways and your violence. Well, how did the people know what that was? Apparently they did, but isn't it interesting that apparently they knew exactly what the king was talking about. He didn't have to spell it out. It's kind of curious. Yeah, it's curious because it could point to either Jonah's uh, reluctance to tell the full message Mm. or it could relate to, okay, well, you know what you did. So we don't even need to go there. We don't even need to name it because everyone knows the evil words of our hearts, the evil actions, because the Bible says in Jeremiah 31, I will put my law on their hearts. So we know right from wrong. God's given us a conscience. I don't care who you are. We all know right from wrong. So he probably didn't want to go there, but everyone kind of knows you look in the mirror, you know what you did. Yeah. So you can come clean. The great reformer John Calvin often talked about how God put the the semen religionis, the seed of religion, is deep in the heart of every person, even though they are fallen. Even people who say they don't believe in God or believe in God but never go to church, they have this moral sense in them. You could even go up to a terrible mafia person, you know, a real thug, a criminal. And if you said to this person, repent, you should repent of your evil and your violence— If the person's honest, he's not going to say, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I have no idea. 
He'll know. He knows exactly. He maybe doesn't want to stop, but a, a criminal like that knows right from wrong enough to know that he's engaged in the wrong, and you don't have to spell it out for them. They know, and it seems to be the same for the Ninevites. And it looks like the majority of them stopped all of their evil ways. As we look at the verse in chapter 3 here that says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So now, I mean, it feels like a happy ending, you know, because Jonah has actually batted a thousand here. He's did what God told him to do. The people have repented and God has relented. So it seems like everything's all great, but there's more to the story, isn't there? Yeah, this isn't quite the end. It's the end of the story as far as the Ninevites are concerned. They are being saved. God does relent. Nothing bad is going to happen to them. We don't know that God communicated that directly, but, you know, they were given a 40-day deadline, and I guess when day 40 passed and God didn't do anything, they knew we are saved. And we're going to find out in the next chapter that Jonah wasn't necessarily sure that the Ninevites had gotten themselves off the hook either. He's going to camp outside the city and wait for the fireworks, uh, which don't come. And that's the story of the fourth chapter. But for now, uh, the Ninevites have done what Jonah told them to do, and God has uh, relented because God is, as you said earlier, and as we talked about in the previous program, he's merciful, he's compassionate. But all of this has uh, implications for our lives today, and we'll close out the program thinking about what some of those are in just a moment. One way to show new life in Christ is through our compassion for those in need. One of the world's greatest challenges is poverty. About 780 million people live in extreme poverty today. This is a challenge for Christians. God cares for the poor and acts on their behalf with love and compassion. He calls us to do the same. Join today in July for a series of devotions called Good News for the Poor. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And uh, Daryl, we're in the third chapter of Jonah. And we've seen Jonah on God's second attempt to send him to Nineveh to preach repentance to them or else. Jonah went. Jonah preached. And as you said, Daryl, was his heart really in it? You know, was it sort of like, you know, eh, repent, whatever. If you, I don't know. But however he said it, the people took it seriously. The king declared a fast for animals and people. They had to wear sackcloth, cry out to God. Who knows? He said, who knows? Uh, this God may yet relent. And he does. But let's make a few uh, summary observations, um, Daryl, uh, as to how some of this might impact us today. And the first thing I think we can talk about is something we talked about at the head of the program today, the idea that God can hit straight shots with crooked sticks. Uh, and we said Jonah's a crooked stick, but God used him and got the job done. It's a beautiful thing because, I mean, we see Jonah going in the opposite direction, doing his own thing until he comes into the belly of the fish and comes to himself and repents in song to God. And that actually is relieving to me because I don't always do things right. I don't always have God's best agenda in my own forefront of the mind to get up and do immediately. And so whenever I go off the rails, so to speak, I know that if I repent, that God will show mercy. 
And that actually was something that benefited the Ninevites in this situation. It benefits us. And we never know who will be affected by our obedience to God when we come back as a cricket stick being made straight by God. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, a lot of times we, we think, well, I can't witness. You know, I, I'm, I'm too weak. I'm not, I'm not eloquent. I'm not good with words. I've never went to seminary. I can't witness for Jesus. Well, you know, God can use you. Yes. Uh, God used Jonah, flaws and warts and all, right? And he can use us. And there are a lot of people who will testify, I didn't think I could ever witness. And then I tried it. And God moved and saved my neighbor, saved my my relative. So don't ever count yourself out. God can use you to witness and to preach good news to people. But the second thing I think, Daryl, is that we should never write off other people either as lost causes. I don't know about you, Scott, but I don't know how to read the heart of a person. I don't know the hearts of people. I don't know where they are on the trajectory of regeneration with God. I don't know where they are in the sanctification journey. And I can't say because I looked at the outer appearance that that person, uh, that's not worth it. Because God told us in 1 Samuel 15 that he doesn't look at the outer appearance. He looks at the heart. And so we need to ask God to show us hearts. But he also knows that he's given us a commission to go and tell everyone anyway. So we can't judge a book by its cover, so to speak, and call exactly. people lost causes. Yep. But we do this sometimes, and sometimes it's maybe um, to let ourselves off the hook so that we don't have to witness. But you can say, oh, you know, Sally, my friend Sally, there's no sense telling her about the gospel. She is so cynical. She is as anti-religious <laughs> as they come. Or, you know, like, I, I think the people at work laugh at me behind my back because I, I go to church. So, you know, they're never going to change. So I, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to to talk about my faith to these people. I'm not going to open myself up to ridicule. There's no hope for them anyway. Well, you know, what Jonah 3 teaches us is that, you know, the swift repentance of the woebegone and wayward Ninevites tells you that you never, as you just said there, you never know where God's spirit is at work. And, you know, it's sort of like the book of Acts. The apostles could not keep up with the Holy Spirit. Right. The Holy Spirit kept popping up all over the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and then the Spirit's here, and the Spirit's there. Centurion. And, and all the centurion, and, and Cornelius and his family, and, you know, it, the Spirit was all over the place. So there are no lost causes. There are no hopeless cases. And that's something that at Calvin Seminary and Calvin University, we've been doing prison ministry. Okay. And we have an educational program at a prison here in Michigan now. And that's one thing we always say. We don't want a person's worst five minutes to define the rest of their life. They made a terrible choice. They pulled a trigger. They robbed a store. They did something. They made a bad decision. Uh, But the worst five minutes shouldn't dictate their life, and we shouldn't write them off as though there's no hope. There is hope. Jesus can call all kinds of people. If we're saying that someone's a lost cause, we're basically saying God's arm is too short to save them, that he is limited in some way and that there is nothing he can do. And we do that when we feel inadequate. Sometimes we feel we can't do it. We'll often attribute that to God not being able to do it. And that's a no, no. Moses found that out. We also know that God has a loving kindness that transcends race, transcends gender, transcends social status and class. And that is the God that Jonah cried out to in the belly of the fish. He is the one that is in charge of salvation. And that's, I think, the third lesson here. So don't write yourself off. God can use you to witness. Don't write other people off because God may be working in their hearts and is just waiting for you to talk to them. And then thirdly, don't limit the love of God, as you just said, right? There is no such thing that we can tell of a God-forsaken people or a God-forsaken person. If God cared about the Ninevites, that just shows the reach of his love. He cares about 
everybody. We can't tell, as you said, can't judge a book by its cover, Daryl. We can't tell who uh, is going to respond to the message. What we need to do is remain open to God's surprises. He is a surprising God. And we need to be obedient to his promptings. I mean, literally in the Great Commission, he tells us to go. He doesn't say go and then you don't have to talk to these people. You don't have to talk to these people because they're lost causes. No, everyone who bears God's image is worthy of the love, the dignity, the respect, and the message of good news that might save their soul one day. And we look forward to Revelation where all tribes, languages, people, and nations are a demonstration of God's compassion that is surprising. With a lot of people are going to be surprised when we get there. And Jonah is giving us a brief a reminder of God's loving kindness for even Ninevites, the people who are far from him. So sort of to riff on the rhetorical question that's popped up several times in this uh, program, who knows? Who knows how God might use you, weaknesses and all? Yes. Who knows how and where God might be at work right now? Who knows who is included in the circle of God's yes. care? Well, you know you know who knows, Daryl? I think it's, it's the one who remains open to letting God use them through his Holy Spirit. Because when we're open to God's surprises, when we're open to God using us, then we can speak to all people that central message of Jonah, that salvation comes from the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we conclude our study of Jonah and discuss our sinful nature and God's great grace. Connect with us now at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you. Or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. <laughs>